Stick around to the end of today's episode to hear the trailer of Between the Lines, the Athletic's newest narrative podcast documenting the intersection of race and football. Coming to the Athletic Football Show feed on February 14th. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all spring training along. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, how about this? Mm. It's our last show before spring training. Yep. And, you know, I'm wondering if you're like me. The first thing I think of when Super Bowl week arrives is, what else? Pitchers and catchers. Yeah. What's wrong with me? No, that's right. That's correct. That that's the right a, answer, right? That is the right answer. Yes. Very well done. <laughs> okay, so. It's true, though. Once that confetti falls to earth and showers the Super Bowl winners, my first thought is, how many days till pitchers and catchers? <laughs> and this year, that answer is like two. Yeah, so get ready, because here it comes. Uh, so this show is going to be epic, because in a few minutes, we will be talking to a man who just arrived in spring training before pitchers and catchers. That is Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals, who will join us to talk about that, about uh, Team USA, and about the number one topic on both of our minds, by which I can only mean, how many at-bats can he convince Ali Marmol to give him <laughs> this year? But first, Doug, uh, can we talk about the new schedule in our sport? Yeah. Um, for the first time in baseball history this season... Every team is going to play every other team. Mm. So I just wrote a piece about this in The Athletic the other day. And the last time I looked, it had over 600 reader comments. 600. Mm. Um, I'm going to make a confession. I did not read all 600 of them. But <laughs> um, <laughs> Doug, you'll be shocked to hear that they are mostly divided into two camps. In fact, the usual two camps. One camp is the people who say, this is great. I can't wait to see Otani come to Milwaukee or Julio Rodriguez come to Pittsburgh or whatever they think. Uh, or they'll say, I was so sick of playing the fill in the team, the Yankees, the Royals, whoever, 19 freaking times a year, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of the camps. Yeah. But then the other camp is not quite as upbeat. Because that camp basically says to just about everything, the schedule wasn't broken. So, of course, 
baseball decided to fix it. Or, I always thought rivalries are the best thing in sports. So, of course, baseball decided to try to destroy all of them. Or, they say, I hate interleague play. So, of course, baseball is going to give me twice as much <laughs> of it, etc., etc., etc. Okay. So, I have two things to say. The first is, you know, I didn't make the schedule. I just tried to explain it. Leave me alone. The second is, Doug, I always count on you to be the voice of reason around here. So you tell me, is this a good idea or a dumb idea? Every team playing every other team. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I'm going to ask you a question first. The spirit yeah. of why we had to create this balanced schedule was what? To, to be comparing apples to apples going to postseason? What, what was the yeah, real... well, well, I mean, we'll get into some of the specifics, but first off, because we now have the universal DH, it did create an opportunity that was always a little precarious before because you couldn't have 46 interleague games when half of them would involve a team playing by different rules. That just was wrong. Okay, mm. so that opened some doors. But I think the other thing is just modernizing the schedule, you know, like, the NBA for a long time, every team has played every other team and they've leaned into the schedule as a way to promote matchups, stars, personalities. And baseball decided the best way to promote somebody like Otani is he's coming to your town mm. at least once every two years, no matter where your town is. I mean, all right, not if you live in Des Moines. But if you live in a major league town, yeah. every team will visit every other team at least once every two years. Plus, it's definitely more fair when it comes to de deciding wild card races. And there's now three wild cards, so we can we can run through some of that stuff later. Yeah. But I'd like you to react to like those two camps that I referred to earlier. Of baseball is great; we should never change anything, or it's about time. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I mean, I well, I'm going to start with the, like, just playing and interleague starting up in 19, what was it, 97? Um, 97. Yeah, and so I remember how important the rivalry was. I was with the Cubs, so it was Cubs-White Sox, and I liked the idea of, you know, being in the East Coast. First of all, just the travel standpoint, it was nice. I took the train to Baltimore or whatever, you know, so there was a geographic sense about the fans in your market can just easily drive because you're playing in the Northeast, and there's rivalries every year and i so i do i get that and i think as a player it was fun it was certainly fun to be part of it now the other side of the coin from playing standpoint is you know i did enjoy seeing cities that i never saw before you know when it was was so dichotomous i was like okay it's great i took a lot of pride in representing the national league and trying to beat up on the american league as a national league fan growing up but it was great to go all these places and just you know see how it how it would go and and the fact that you have otanis of the world Aaron judges and so on you want to you want baseball to celebrate that and see it and you want all the teams and all the markets to get a chance to to witness these players i think the big deal is like when do they get a day off mm, good question right especially if otani's like pitching but um yeah so i so i do understand from a balanced schedule standpoint of uh, the travel will be interesting i'm sure they'll figure it out but it's a it's a lot of different cities but at the same time you know i, I understand that you're creating some sort of balance and say, you know, equality of schedule. Like, okay, there's all these wild cards. The more you expand into wild cards 
and and where you're supposed to compare teams with like like experiences the more it pushes you to feel like you have to play the same kind of schedule and and that does that does make sense and i think it's a function of playoff baseball expanding uh, and so so i definitely get that but yeah old school in me rivalries yeah but you know once again interleague wasn't there before 97 so so it's like how far back do you go to establish the precedent you want to hold on to is, is a tough one but i i definitely love cubs white Sox, or you know being in these kind of rivalries but uh so yeah i, I it's like not going I, away no it's not going away right right it's just um yeah it's not going away it just it's instead like, of instead of Yankees, Red Sox, or Dodgers, Giants, nineteen times a year. It's right. thirteen times a year. Right. You've you've kind of yeah so, you've reduced it, which is pl- thirteen is plenty, and um and yes, do you get I guess tired? I don't know. I, I as a hitter, I always wanted to see someone a lot because I always felt like I could get an advantage. So seeing Greg Maddox like eight times, although it's a lot of outs, it also allowed <laughs> me to figure out like how to hit his cutter. You know, so so I don't know. I mean, so it's it's good. I get I get both camps. Um, I get it. Uh, I think it's still going to be fun. I, I'm curious to see how it plays out. But if I'm a fan, I'd love to see Otani wherever he is. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Well, all right, you mentioned uh, fairness of the schedule. So uh, I, I actually did, with the help of my friends from Stats, compute strength of schedule. And some interesting c- things came out of it. Um, look, if you were a good team that played in a bad division, you cleaned up, okay? And if that was the case before, under this schedule, it it's going to get harder. Um, the, ex- the, the main example I used was the Guardians. You know how many games the Guardians played all last season against teams with a winning record? How about 46 all season? 46! Meanwhile, the teams in the AL East are playing... 79, 80. The Red Sox played 93. And I, I want you to think about how it skews the wild card races if those teams are involved. Mm-hmm. So this year, the Guardians still have one of the easiest schedules relatively, but they go from 46 games against teams that had a winning record last year to 60. So how important is that change just in the interest of fairness? It's important, you know, and and as we were talking, like the apples to apples, it's not going to ever be perfect. You're in a division, but if you at least if you're talking about wild card, I think that's the key thing we're underscoring, then you you need to, especially as you're expanding it, you need to gain more common ground around like who you're playing. I think that just makes sense. Now, I'm curious, I guess the flip side of that is is the division, right? Because now you're, you're playing less in your division. So I guess what does that do? Like, okay, you're the Royals, and you're playing in the AL Central uh, versus the Yankees. They, the Yankees don't have to deal with the Red Sox, Rays, and all these tough teams as often, right? So, th- what does that do yeah. for your? What does that do for it's your? Subtract- yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, you know, you, yeah. teams were playing almost half their games in their division. Seventy six of the yeah. one sixty two used to be against their division. That now dips all the way to 52. Mm-hmm. And so the upshot is teams in the division race um, are playing slightly more games against common opponents mm-hmm. because the interleague schedules and the outer division schedules are the same now except for one game. And um, 
The big difference is those wildcard races where now teams battling for a wildcard will have played more than three quarters of their games against common opponents, mm-hmm. which is a big change from right. what we had. Right. And and I think, look, the it's not that, you know, I think I'm thinking this through as I'm talking about it, but it's like you you have to always ask the question of the priority, right? Like when you're trying to figure out who wins the division, we all kind of agree that, you know, you win a division over 162 games, you know, or you, you come out on top, that's saying something. And the question becomes, how much should you beat up on the people in your division to establish that crown? You know, and, and when you get to three quarters outside, you start to go, well, you won by beating up all these teams outside of your division. Right? And and maybe that's fine. Like they, in terms of caliber of, of schedule, then it may be the same anyway. But there is something... Whether whether it's rivalry rise wise to say yeah I beat I'm the Yankees I beat the Red Sox to get in and I had to beat them a lot I always like that body of work in terms of what I'm ca- calling games to know that head to head and how how they fared against each other when it goes from you know nine and ten to you know seven and six it's a little different I don't know you know so to me that's the fine line I'm not saying this is going to hurt that but it it raises that question as you put more emphasis on what happens outside your division. Right. Okay. But let me, I'll give you the converse. I, I was talking to a, a guy from one team or they're, they're contender. And I was just pointing out, you know, the, the guardian stat that I had mentioned to her, to you earlier. And like, he was basically saying it, that's just wrong. If the blue Jays win 90 games and the guardians play, win 90 games, that should mean the same thing. If you're going to have a wild card race, the, the the win totals have to be more comparable, mm. so that's 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 really the the idea here, and I think that works. Let me ask you about something else because I did something I've never done in my life except when calculating my frequent flyer uh, reservoir. I actually analyzed air miles, so yeah, I, I learned the gonna, Mariners. I was just going to ask you that too. Yeah, the Mariners are going to fly 10,000 more miles this season than the Astros. Um, The Cardinals, because they're going to London, they're going to fly 10,000 more miles than the Brewers. And there's some other disparities that aren't quite that dramatic. But when I looked into this, I was told, well, actually, air miles are overrated. Because once you get on the plane, does it really matter? if the flight is two hours or two hours and 45 minutes and Doug, you've flown on those planes. What do you think? I mean, I mean, I'm sure it matters. I mean, I don't know. They have load management teams now. So I think they're now the best to answer these questions. Uh, <laughs> I certainly rather fly two hours than five. I mean, I remember when Montreal was in Puerto Rico and stuff. I mean, that was, I mean, it's pretty, it's exhausting. It, it is exhausting at a certain point. So, but yeah, is it quantifiably different to fly 9,000 more miles? You know, I don't know. I mean, the Mariners, look, they haven't won a World Series and they're they're the ones who travel seemingly the most every year. I don't know if there's something to be said about that, but that's, that's tough. It is tough. And I look, when I played in Texas, every road trip, because it was so hot in the summer, we couldn't play day games. So we played night games and then we'd have to leave to go to the Seattle Right after a night game, we'd leave at one o'clock midnight and get to Seattle like four or five in the morning. It was horrible, and um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, can you suck it up and all these other things? But I don't know. Over time, that's that's not easy. But I was yeah, I was curious about the, the geography of it because you know if we're trying to accomplish that, all teams are having the same experience. Like you said, 
like, all right, the 91 the Guardians versus the 91 Brewers versus the 91 Yankees and trying to create some sort of equality. But the, the advantage of the divisions theoretically was this geography. You're located in the same area and, and it, it facilitates travel. It helps the fans be able to see their teams if they want to get in a train or a car. It, you know, that I think that was part of it. I, I can understand choosing to de-emphasize that. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't that doesn't take away from the fact that that does matter. You know, there is some element of that that uh, that is cool. That as a geography, but yes, do I want to go to spring training every year and just be the victim of? Well, you just happen to be in a tough division, uh, but that tough division, as we know, changes depending on who's putting the money in. The Mets now, you know, what do they pay? Like two point five billion right now. I mean, you know, you have teams like that that could turn a whole division upside down in one off season. So I think we're always going to be chasing that to a certain degree. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you one final thing. Um, do you realize this means we'll never again have a world series in which the two teams playing had never played each other all season? Yeah. Uh, personally, I think that used to really matter in like 1957. <laughs> I don't think it matters much at all in 2023, but you played baseball. You're a huge fan of baseball long before interleague play. So I'd love to get your take. Does that matter or not? Well, look, the fandom childhood side of me does not like that at all. It doesn't. I mean, I love the surprise, you know, the element of surprise of like the two mysteries of the two leagues. I mean, I used to love spring training because it's like, oh, wow, the twins played the Phillies. I was like unheard of. I was, I thought that was just cool when you associate teams with a uniform and a set of colors and a league, I think, you know, you're indoctrinated in that. It's just, to me, I thought the surprise is really cool because it's just something you'd never see. Oh, the A's are playing the Mets in the world series or whatever. So I I think I'm sure, I'm sure this generation doesn't care about that as much, you know, Um, you know, the mystery. And I don't think that's there, but that that's what I tap. And, and knowing that they hadn't played each other is just, it's just a mystery. Sure. There's data now and all that. I accept that. But that's what it meant to me back in the day to see teams that never saw each other, Phillies, Royals, 80 World Series, to play. But isn't that day other. long gone? Because oh, it of is. Interleague play? It's yeah, gone already. Oh, it's it's, oh, it's already yeah. gone. Yeah, it's long gone. But I'm just pointing out that that's, that's the first thing that I tell. I'm not saying that's a reason to change it. But, you know, would I love to see a season just thrown in there once, you know, once in a blue moon? that you have two divisions, the winners of each division play each other, and then the winners play the World Series. I think that would be pretty interesting uh, just to do it as like a throwback season, like the year 2040 or something. But you know, And how much TV money are they going to give back? Probably not yeah, going to happen. That's not happening. You know, not happening. <laughs> All right. One thing you should know is uh, I, I learned this while working on this story too. Baseball actually asked every team for travel requests, and then it did its best to honor them. And I, I feel like that's a lot better than some of the brutal schedules that you had to deal with back when you played. So later in the show, when we get to the dugout segment, we're going to have you tell us about some long, memorable, crazy trip that you went on. And I know that will be awesome. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are so stoked to welcome in this week's special guest because this one's been a long time coming. Uh, but now, finally, he's here. One of our very favorite people in baseball. It is Adam Wainwright, Cardinals legend. Adam, thanks for visiting us in Starkville, man. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I've been waiting forever to do this, and you just never could fill me in or fit me in. So <laughs> yeah, that's not quite how it worked. We were waiting for you to get your passport. <laughs> you need a passport to be in Starkville, so we were waiting for your passport to come through. I understand. I understand. <laughs> hey, just know that I have my little son here. He's four, or he's about to be four, and he has a tornado. So at any moment, he could enter into the equation here. Oh, it's all we, good. We look forward to chatting with him, too. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so so Adam is joining us from beautiful Jupiter, Florida, uh, where today, if I have this right, you began the first day of your last spring training. So I'm just making sure that's right, <laughs> that you haven't changed your mind about this being your, your last year. I know you sort of said that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I did. And I'm hoping to get all of that out of the way in spring training because uh, I just don't want to do retirement interviews all season. You know, I got I want to be great this year. I want to go out and be focused and um, and think about what I'm accomplishing and trying to accomplish in that very moment. But uh, I understand how it works. You know, I've been playing for a long time. It's it's newsworthy somewhat. So uh, I have entered into Roger Dean Stadium uh, as my last year as an active player. How about that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's let's get this out of the way. Is it surreal to think this is your final spring training? Yeah. I mean, I, my wife reminds me all the time that this is not my final spring training because I will. Uh, this is her favorite time of year, and she she loves coming to Jupiter. So she's like, no, you are not. You and I are still going to go down there and. You can be like a volunteer or coach or something. So I'll, I'll be in here spring training. But as a player, I know what you're saying as a player. Um, I don't know. I think I'm just kind of ready for that. You know, I'm I'm ready to, to finish strong and, and have a great year and be very focused and and uh, go oriented this year. But uh, I, I'm ready for this to be my last year, too. Mm-hmm. It's been a good run, man. I'm, you know, when I turn – I'll turn 42 this year in August. And uh, – some of my old teammates told me, you know, play as long as you can because you can never come back once you once you retire. But, you know, once you hit 42, no one's going, oh, I can't believe you retired that soon. <laughs> you still had more. You know, 42 is a – you've done it at 42. <laughs> well, you, you didn't look like you were done most of last year. But I, I was thinking, Doug, you, you didn't – even know in your last spring training that it was your last spring training, right? <laughs> right. The Yankees just released you? Yeah, I was yeah, I was released uh yeah, two thousand five and I grappled with coming back and Padre minor league deal. Uh so I'm curious, Wayno, about did you were there other moments or any moment before you're like, uh, this might 
be it. You always think there's like this crystal ball, like where you can see like, okay, when this happens, when I pull my hamstring and it's done, do you have a, a, a moment of clarity or is it kind of, you know, still coming together? No, I certainly had uh, thoughts of retirement in 2018 um, when my contract was coming to an expiration and, and uh, my arm was also expiring. You know, I, my, I had just horrible, horrible pains in my outside of my arm. And, you know, if you go back and look at that tape of me pitching, trying to trying to get through games in 2000, really the middle of 17 on and then all the way into 18, that was really, really tough. Uh, I thought I was retiring for sure during the middle of that season. Actually, in my mind, I did retire. Um, but my teammate, Dominic Leone, I had stopped throwing. My arm wasn't recovering. Rehab wasn't working. And My teammate, Dominic Leone, he needed a throwing part. And our, our trainer was not able to, you know, really play catch with him very effectively out to a certain distance. And so I said, hey, I'll What's worse can happen? I hurt my arm. You know, it's already blown out. So it doesn't matter. So I went out there with him and I tried every single way, underarm and sidearm and whatever. And he got back to a certain distance where I'm like, all right, I got to just throw this like a baseball. And then I just took my, my, in my delivery, I took my arm back just a hair longer in the beginning. Uh, and it kind of got my arm past, past the point of that. Like, cause when I was pitching before that, every time I threw a pitch, I heard those bones hit in the backside of my arm. Oh, wow. Bam, bam, bam. And uh, that developed an, a real nasty bone bruise in there and a micro fracture. And I was pitching with a broken arm. It was really, really tough, man. That's the most <laughs> pain I've ever had uh, pitching by a lot, not even close. And uh, and I've had to, you know, when you pitch as long as I do, you have to pitch through some things. You have to grind through some things. But that was just really, really, really painful. Every throw, I had to pump myself up for it. And I was getting a stomach ache on every throw. It was hurting so bad. And then for whatever reason, when I extended my arm just a hair longer in the back, it got me past whatever point of that was where I was bumping bones. And I was able to start throwing it back to him. And I started, well, golly, this doesn't, you know, this, this is okay. I can I can make that work. And and uh, as he got back farther, I got back farther with him and started throwing the ball with him. And we uh, we – he got, I always tell him he got me back because I came back at the end of that year and pitched. And I know that I would have never, I would have never done that if it wasn't for his, his need for a throwing partner. So um, he always tells me I got him back and, and, and he got me back. It was like a good, it was like a good partnership, but uh, I'm always going to be thankful for that, you know, because in my mind I was done. Wow. That's an amazing story. Yeah. I'd never heard yeah. you tell that one before. Um, here's a question. Last year, you got to watch Albert and Yachty go through their last season. And I'm curious, what did you learn from watching them experience what they got to experience? Um, I mean, Albert celebrated by spending a couple of months as the best hitter in baseball. So that might be a plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I would love to celebrate this, this year as being one of the best hitters in baseball. <laughs> That'd be great. I would love that. They took that opportunity from me, though, Dougie. Um, yeah. uh, you know what, though? I, I thought it was really fun watching Albert go through that, especially. You know, Yadi's, Yadi's career speaks for itself, too. But watching Albert his final year, what sticks out the most was the joy that he was playing with. He was having so much fun playing the game of baseball, the game that he loved and has always played. And he was, he was, uh, you know, 
he's an older fellow. I mean, he was having to do things a little differently than when he did at a younger age and, and making fun of that, you know, making, having, having fun with figuring out new ways to do things and, and coming up with different leg kicks or, you know, and, and then about midway through the year, he really figured out where his body needed to be in space to make a good swing through the zone. And after that, it was, it was just all she wrote, like he used to do. Um, but what really sticks out to me is the joy that he played with. And I, I really think that's something I'm going to try to do this year. Is, and I've been trying to do this the last couple of years, enjoying like all the different cities at a different level and eating all the best restaurants that I love going to and making sure I go to the golf courses that I really love playing and, and trying new things that I never did on the road, going out and seeing the cities. You know, there's so many times we as baseball players get stuck in the, the mode of, I go to the hotel, I go to the field, I come back to the hotel, I go to sleep, I wake up, I go work out, I go to the field. And you don't you don't get really this not if you don't allow, there's no time to really enjoy the game of baseball and those great parks. And so I started going on these old man walks and really seeing the stadiums behind the scenes kind of thing. But I really think this year what I really want to accomplish is as I'm performing out on the field, just remember how fun that is. You know, I, I think I, I would, I would, I would regret it if I didn't do that. <coughs> Doug, you have any suggestions for what Adam Wainwright could do to even top the old man walks as he yeah. <laughs> commemorates every stop this year? Well, I mean, he could do spacewalks. You know, just get up on in, in Mars out there. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just, well, my retirement kind of snuck up on me a little bit. So, but I did know I was getting older, so I started getting autographed bats and balls and collected a lot more in the last year. Uh, but I also remember Mariano Rivera when he walked away, he took the time and sort of talked about, talked to all the workers that really made the game go, you know, the concessions. And uh, I thought that was really powerful. Anything you've thought about in, in that vein about, all right, you have your man walks, but just from a baseball stand, smelling the roses, whether it's autographs or just the staff, you know, changing that dynamic. Yeah. I've on those walks, I've spent time with people the last year or two, uh, getting to know what they do, you know, getting our concession area and seeing how many, really at Bush Stadium especially, but at Bush Stadium, getting back behind the scenes and, all right, how, how many hot dogs do we do a, a game, you know, and talking with the, all the vendors and, all right, now what's your job here and what's your name and taking pictures with them and, and meet them and posting. I post some of that stuff on Twitter too when I get to meet them. I post some of that stuff on Twitter and the grounds crews. I really spent time with the grounds crews and, and letting them know how appreciative we are as players that we get to play on these unbelievable fields um, because those they're like perfect. The blade of grass is like down to the blade of grass on these fields. It's just perfect. And the mounds are just perfect. And, and uh, it's just, um, it's just remarkable. The job and the hours that they put in to make it great is, is really special too. So, you know, when we're, when we get to the field at, <laughs> at you know two o'clock or so one thirty two o'clock for a game at seven the vendors have already been there preparing you know for a couple of hours already the grounds crew's already been there since the early morning preparing so a lot of people put in the time and effort to make our 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 craft be a craft be a be a be a spectacle that people want to go watch you, you know one thing that albert and yadi both did last year was pitch so i think we both know <laughs> what that means that the Cardinals need to do for you this year. One thing that I promised you be, uh, before we invited you on this show, 
was that this would be the kickoff campaign to make sure the Cardinals get you, Adam Wainwright, to the plate with a bat as many times as possible this year. So we will do our part. Has that work begun on your end? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I uh, I played a little concert this offseason uh, up in Springfield, Illinois, and there's about 600 Cardinals fans up up in there, and uh, Ali Marmal was there with me. And uh, he was enjoying the show, and I put him on the spot in front of everybody, and I said the exact same thing. Hey, in their final year, Yachty got the pitch. Albert got the pitch twice, by the way. <laughs> yep. uh, and I think Yachty actually got the pitch. Maybe he was the one that pitched twice. Yachty one of them pitched twice. twice. Yeah. Uh, I said, don't y'all think that I should get in at bat in the final season? And they all just, you know, yeah, went crazy. And so I said, Holly, come on up here. Come to the stage. Let's talk about it. So I caught him up on the stage, and uh, I said – Will you commit to me in front of everybody here that you will give me an at bat? And he and he got he felt the pressure and he said, "I will commit to that." So oh, uh, nice. after the show, after the show, he goes, "But I never said in the regular season." I was like, "Nope." Six hundred people are expecting this thing to go down in the regular season. Don't let them down. Hey, hey, wait a second now. With Albert gone, that seems to leave a lot of DH at bats. Oh, yeah. Just waiting there to be taken. Like, what would be a reasonable number of at-bats for you to take? 100? 200? Well, I mean, how Otani-like could you possibly be? If I'm if not Ollie mistaken, Marmol just I'm like, the light? If I'm not mistaken, I'm like right around 300 as a pinch hitter. Nice. So I, I, always go to the, I always go to the bench coach, and, and uh, I'll do that this year, and I'll go to the manager and remind him. I'll say, all right, who do you got on the bench? And they'll say, you know, we got <laughs> Brandon Donovan or whoever it is. And I'll say, oh, he, yeah, he's a pretty good player. How many how many home runs does he have in the big leagues? And they're like, well, he's got four home runs. <laughs> cool. All right, well, I've got double that, more than double that. i got 10 home runs in the big league. And I'll be like, I wonder what his career batting average is or slash hitting it. Like, I'll have all the numbers. And I'll go to him and I'll, and I'll remind him that I'm the best option. Um, it, it hasn't worked. The only manager – Matheny a little bit, but the only manager that really believed in me to put me in in those tough situations was Larusa. He pinch hit me a few times, like quite a few times actually. I, I think I had six at bats one year pinch hitting oh, in wow. season. I went three for, and I went three for six that year. Oh, I'm man. just saying that's that's yeah. it. That's the evidence. Don't don't these guys check the stats? I mean, maybe my favorite thing you ever did was the year that. I know you slugged over 450, but you had 10 extra base hits and only three singles. So take that, Otani. Yeah, well, you know, a couple of those years, I really spent a lot of time working because uh, on my hitting because I knew my arm was not in great shape, and I was gonna, I knew I was going to give up some runs, so I knew I had to drive a few in. And uh, <laughs> one year, uh, I think the year that you're talking about, I think I had my first nine hits were extra base hits. That's uh, right. And I think it, I think it set an MLB all-time record on that. And uh, I mean, you know, a couple of times I'd be down three nothing. Like I was three down three nothing to the Phillies one time, and I hit a three-run bomb to tie it, and we ended up winning four three, and I got the win. I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was like it was out of necessity though. I was like, all right, I'm going to go out and pitch. What do I bring to the table? Right now, I'm not bringing a whole lot of with my arm. I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta be that next guy in in the order that can do something. 
for some damage to win these games because I'm, you know, I, th- I really think that that might have been the only reason I, they let me pitch anymore was because I was sitting. <laughs> Doug, did you ever get nine extra base hits in a row? Oh, no. Uh, nine singles, possibly, over probably three years. I mean, <laughs> if I count that. So that that is impressive. Nine extra base hits in a row. That's No, I've definitely not done that. Um, <laughs> but wait, I was curious. You mentioned uh, La Russa, Marmol. You know, what have you seen? You know, you have so much of a landscape of view of this game over decades. What have you seen the evolution of leadership? Like you've been under La Russa and then Marmol, just different styles, but generally just what you've seen and just the shift in manager managerial strategy and how you actually embrace it. Yeah, well, I think um, I think strategies have changed a little bit uh, and evolved as the game has because we've had to, and this year we'll have to do it again with the with the shift rules and the pitch clock rules changing and understanding your rosters. But I, I also think that communicating with players is is evolved. I think it's uh, you're dealing with a different kind of players now, different uh, you know agents involved and. Feelings get hurt a lot easier now than they used to. You know, you used to have to have a, a real tough, thick skin uh, around the managers, especially Tony. With so Tony could be tough, man. Tony would let you know if you weren't acting right, and and uh, and it, he he did some things hilarious. Maybe I'll put in a book one day. But <laughs> Tony was a Tony was a beauty, man. And, and uh, but it's always the smartest guy out there, ultra prepared. You know, then then. Uh, Athene stepped up, did a great job for a number of years, had a great career record as as the Cardinal skipper. Um, great leader of men, great great guy, great guy you wanted to believe in. And Schulte took over. Mike Schulte did a great job uh, with preparation, and and he's probably um, as far as smarts go, man. He was right there with Tony as far as how to manage a game and. The understanding. I just think we've had and Ollie and I'll tell you and Ollie and Ollie and Schilte are the same kind of cloth because because Ollie uh, learned from Schilte and learned from Mark Dijon and Mark Dijon uh, taught Schilte taught taught Ollie but but they all learned from George Kissel hmm. who was a legendary coach and teacher of the game in our in our organization and George Kissel just poured into these guys and they're all kind of uh, disciples of George and of DJ and of Tony. And so the, 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 how to run the game, how to manage a game, uh, know how managing a game has all sort of, uh, evolved the same way with those guys. But, um, I would say our manager now, Holly Marmo, I, I think he does as good a job or better than anyone I've ever seen of, uh, relating to players and, and incorporating the game of baseball without the real life and, and uh, and he's had every role out there. You know, he's a young guy. I can't believe he's thirty, what thirty five years old. And uh, he was a first base coach. He's done some third base coach. He was a manager in the minor leagues. He's a bench coach in the big leagues. Manager now. He's been prepared. You know, he's been groomed for this position. So he's he's going to do a great job. He's uh, he did a great job last year. He's going to keep doing a great job this year. All right, it's time for that question. You're going to be asked about a billion times this year. Life without Yachty, 328 starts pitching to that guy. How is your job going to change in a year when you're going to make zero starts pitching to Yachty or Molina? Yeah, I, I always 
I always tell people I never believe he's retired until I see him put his paperwork in and he's already in the Hall of Fame because I just think he's uh, he's such a talent and he loves to play the game so much. I just it would never surprise me to see him come back and play again. But uh, he's saying he's not. Um, <laughs> there, therefore, I will say uh, I have over the years pitched without Yachty before. Last year, I pitched a couple of months without Yachty air around. Um, I can do it. I just preferred not to all the years because why would you? Why would you not want to pitch to the greatest catcher of all time defensively in my mind? So um, I don't know how it'll be without having him in the clubhouse, you know, uh, having him on the bus rides. Uh, he's just always, you know, he and I have always just been together. So um, those are the things that are going to stick out to me is just not having him, you know, not having my buddy already. You know, more more even than 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 catching. But uh, I love going over game plan situations with him. I love sitting on the bench next to him. You know, not next to him, but he'll come over and we'll say something really quick during the game or go over how we're going to face hitters. And he and I think we think a lot alike. You know, we we've probably because we've been thinking together for so long. Um, so I'll miss him. He's he's a great friend and a great teammate. Yeah, I'll help you with a different show. <laughs> Because look, I'm talking to Mr. Jason and Mr. Doug, and we're having a great conversation. You know what we're talking about? Baseball. Do you want to run over there and do it and come back? Uh, it's all good. Here, I'll take you with me. Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go change the channel. We've never done this, Doug. This is no, good. This is, this is good this. TV right here. Yeah, this it is. Stark, Starkville right. first here. <laughs> I think this is right up there with Drew Carey's dogs barking. Oh yeah, this is awesome. Hey, buddy, Paw Patrol. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, I can relate All to right, that. We're back. we're back. We have a whole collection. <laughs> okay, well, while you're strolling back to your office, there, another cool thing you're going to do this year is you're going to pitch for Team USA. I'm going to say you definitely had the most awesome announcement. I'm playing for Team USA tweet in history. You painted the red, white, and blue stripes on your face. I just hope you didn't use the kind of paint that doesn't wash off or anything. Did you did, did you pick the paint, and did you paint your own face? Well, let me tell you how patriotic I am. That, that paint goes back to World Cup 2014. Um. I was uh, watching the World Cup, and my, my girls and I, we love the World Cup. And, and I, I, I mean, I just, I said, Jenny, you've got to paint my face. I need to go into the stadium. So she painted my face red, white, and blue. I kept it on all day during batting practice and everything. And I went out for the national anthem with red, white, and blue on my face. <laughs> and uh, that, that, was a, that was a picture I took right before I went to the field uh, for the World Cup that day. But, man, I, I couldn't be more proud to play for our country, hopefully uh, – I can perform as well as I, as uh, as, uh, as we need me to, and we can bring a, a gold a gold medal home. We have a stack team, man. We have a, a really really talented team, so just gotta go out there and perform. What excites you about the WBC? You've never done it, right? Well, I've never done it. a couple couple things excite me about this. So in two thousand four, I was uh, on the the pre qualifier. Um, Olympic team, we were going to go to Panama and uh, qualify for the try to qualify for the Olympics. 
and uh, I pitched terrible in in the 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 pre you know getting ready for it on the fall Arizona fall league. I pitched terrible, and I was the only one sent home and not allowed to go perform. And the manager was Frank Robinson. The, the pitching coach was Dave Stewart, and I got sent home, and I was not able to compete with that team, and they and they ended up not not uh, qualifying for the Olympics. But I've so much uh, God just ticked me off not being there, you know, and not being good enough to be there, and and uh, and it was more mental than it was physical. And now I've, I've, I've reached a different point in my career now where I just I want to make up for that, you know. That's that's one thing that excites me. Two, um, I watched I've watched several WBCs now and, and watched my teammate Yadier Molina get one of the biggest hits uh, of the whole tournament. In the semifinal game, um, he got the game-winning hit, and his team went on to the finals a couple of years ago. And it was they had a great bunch of position players, but they really only had a couple of minor league pitchers only out there on the Puerto Rican team. And he took that team all the way to the finals on his back. It was great, and I remember him saying that the most important hit of his major league baseball career was that one, more than the home run. In Game Seven against the Mets, that sent us to the World Series. More than all the wonderful things he's done in his big league career, that was his most favorite hit he ever had in his career. Uh, and then watching just how fired up the team was this last time when we won a gold medal, Nolan and Goldie and all those guys, and and uh, the 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 intensity that they were playing with. That's what I'm excited about because I want to get off to a great start this year, and I think that intensity that I'll be playing with in spring training will put me off to the the start mentally that I need because we'll be playing meaningful games right away. Uh, and I, I look forward to that. So when I would, you know, once you accomplish this, you get into the WBC, is there anything on your bucket list that you're like, gosh, I wish I could do that. That You know, what's left, I guess you would say uh, at this point. Man, I, I mean, the gold medal is it. Go bringing a gold medal home with, and, and taking a picture with, with the American flag draped over my shoulders and a gold medal around my neck would be just about uh, all I could really ever ask for to, to, to put up the end of my career. I mean, I want to win a World Series this year. I want to have a great season uh, personally, but if I could add a gold medal too. I mean, a couple of years ago when I wasn't sure I was going to play, the Tokyo Olympics were coming up, baseball was back. If I wasn't going to play again in 21, I was going to just, I mean, write as many letters as I could, put it on social media every day that I wanted to be on that, that Tokyo baseball team, um, that Olympic baseball team. And so uh, I just, I, I don't know. I've always wanted to, to be a part of that playing for the country. So. Well, I got chills just thinking about that picture of you with that flag. That's, mm -hmm. that's really cool. Me too, buddy. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, we can't let you leave without asking you about your singing. Uh, in fact, the last time, <laughs> I asked you to, if you could come on, you sent me a photo of yourself in the studio recording an album. So I was watching the Grammys Sunday night, looking for you in the front row next to Adele. Uh, no sign of you there, but I know, I know you did record an album. Why don't you tell us about it? I did. It's, uh, it's not come out yet. Um, they're finishing the final mix of it right now. The sound mixers are, are putting everything together. It's all... In the final production phases right now, I've already cut all the vocals and the music is made. It's unbelievable, man. The, 
the musicians I worked with, you can't even believe it. You know, the, the, uh, the fiddle and mandolin player from the steel drivers was with me. Garth Brooks's piano player, the lead guitarist from Brooks and Dunn and Reba McIntyre and the bass player from Brooks and Dunn and Reba. And, uh, a guy named Greg Morrow was on drums. Who's, uh, been on just about every album cut in Nashville uh, and working with a guy named Gary Baker in production and helping me write songs that wrote that song, I Swear. He wrote, uh, I'm Already There. He wrote eight um, number one country music hits. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the people I've worked with are just really, really talented. And they're telling me, I always said, hey, be very, very honest because the last thing I want to do is embarrass myself thinking like we're doing something great there. And they're all telling me that we our project is is special. So I can't wait for it to be released. It's going to be released mid season this year. Um, wow. So uh, can you go yeah, on tour definitely. during the season? You're gonna like start a tour while you're in between <laughs> starts or something? <laughs> no, but I have thought about playing a couple of shows at uh, at at road venues. You know, um, yeah. After after music is released. We'll see what yeah. happens. I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because I know it's uh, there's so many artists out there that are so much more talented than I am uh, and have been grinding at it for so much longer than I have. I just know this. I'm having fun with it. I'm having a blast writing songs. Can you hear my son in there? I'm, ha I'm having a blast writing songs. I'm having a blast singing and playing. I love, I love playing guitar and singing and, uh, as long as it stays fun, I'm going to keep doing it. Do you, do you play your songs around the house? Like, does the Wainwright family sit around singing Adam Wainwright tunes? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, my girls know all the words. It's yeah? Actually, it's actually a a, uh, a good feeling. And uh, I can tell you this. If it wasn't good, my daughters would let me know. <laughs> because my daughter, my oldest daughter, Bailey, is uh, is in the choir, is a very, very accomplished singer herself, young, young singer 16 years old but she can really go man she's got a great voice and great range and uh she tells me if i'm if i'm off key or if i miss a note or something she's like that are you serious so uh, <laughs> they will let me know so they, they've told me it's pretty good too so and they know the words when your daughter's singing your own songs that's a pretty good feeling that is awesome well if you that think of the wild. song like wait for this thing well fogarty would, would center field you know they that was like an iconic that is an iconic baseball song we need like a pitcher song so you maybe even got to write know, it like a picture you know, song, you know? No, but here's the thing. I don't want to be a gimmick. <laughs> right. You know, so all my songs are about my real, like my life and things have gone on, my family and my upbringing and stuff like that. But I don't want to just sing baseball songs because everybody's <laughs> like, oh, a baseball player singing baseball songs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Ollie, Ollie would mention that you would, you would kind of test him, you know, test it out on him. Like you're testing your songs. Any other teammates get wind of like while you're writing songs, like, hey, what do you think? Did, did you test it on your teammates? Oh yeah, all of them. Yeah, I would. I would say, hey, y'all, check this out. And I would, and actually, hey, y'all is one of the name of my songs. Um, I would, <laughs> I would, uh, I would come into the training room if there was only a couple guys in there, and you know, you don't want to just barge in and say, hey, listen to my song, everybody. But if if they're willing, or sometimes they would say, hey, go grab your guitar, you know, in the, in the video room or. I like to go back into the storage room and play and somebody walks by and is like, all right, let me hear one. I'll, I'll play one for them. I, I, I love that stuff, man. I have fun with it. Hotel rooms, especially. Sorry for my neighbors, but I, I will I will get it out every now and then. I'll have some guys over and, and let them, you know, request songs and 
play and sing, and I love to do that, man. I love to do that, and guys have been real supportive of me. Skip, Skip Schumacher and I, you know, we sort of came up in the game together. And uh, Skip, and so I, wasn't, I was playing some back when we were teammates. Uh, we were teammates until 2011. But I wasn't playing a lot, especially, you know, once the season started, I kind of stopped playing it. It wasn't really until 2015 where I picked it up and I really started playing a lot of, a lot of music. But he hadn't seen me in a few years uh, on a, you know, in a daily basis. This last year we were in Miami. He comes over uh, to the hotel room and, yeah. and I said, hey, I, I've been writing some songs. Do you, you mind if I play one for you? And he was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> what kind of song is it? Or whatever. And I remember, I'll never forget his reaction because I played it. And about midway, he was like, he gets his phone out and he starts recording me. And I get done and I'm like, all right, so are you recording me to make fun of me later? Or are you recording that in a different way? He's like, dude, that was unbelievable. Like, what just happened? Like, when, <laughs> when did you start doing that? Like, it was a great feeling for me, you know, that but that was a, a feeling that he had that was natural. So, you know, uh, Yachty, we were in San Diego this last year. Yachty calls me across the clubhouse because they have guitars hanging on the wall. He says, hey, come play some songs. So I, I grabbed one of the guitars off the wall and tuned it up real quick. And and he's, I think he's just filming me. And, you know, some guys are around and I'm playing. And then he turns it around. There's like 40 Puerto Ricans on there on a Zoom call. You know, you can see the calendar view or whatever. And there was just so many. And they were all like, hey, way to go. Way to go. So, um, it was, uh, yeah, that they, they request things all the time. That's fun. Wow. Well, a post-game Adam Wainwright concert, I would definitely go to that. So let's let's make that happen. <laughs> okay. Might have to do it. All right. Well, look, one one final thing. Um let, let, let's leave you with this. I, I honestly don't know of anyone who's had more fun pitching or playing baseball than you. Can you put into words the the fun that you've experienced? doing what you've been doing for the last however many years, 20 years? Well, here's the thing. I mean, since I was three years old, every time anybody asked me what I ever wanted to do, I always told them I want to be a professional baseball player. You know, and so that has always been my dream. And I'm very mindful to always remember that when uh, I'm working out or, you know, pitching a 12 o'clock game out of nowhere or, you know, double headers or, I always remind myself, this is always what I've wanted to do. This is a dream. And so just to enjoy that, you know, just to don't let it become uh, such a job that you, you lose the joy in it. And and, um, and like I said earlier, that's that's going to be my main focus this year is is remember to have so much fun while I'm out there. But listen, that goes as far as I mean, that goes autographs and spending time with people. And I remember being an autograph seeker as a kid and going to a, I went to an Olympic game in 1996 in Atlanta and watched our team play against Cuba and got Braden Looper's autograph who ended up being my teammate a little bit a few years later and some other guys got the Matthew LaCroix and some other guys on that team I got Chris Benson's autograph but I remember Chris Braden you know calling out please sign this for me and I remember you know meeting Lonnie Smith when I was 10 years old in the Atlanta mall I'll never forget that, how great he was for me, how great he was to me and spent time to have a conversation with me. And I'll never forget that. And so when I remember those things, it makes me want to 
to and I get in those situations and a kid comes over and talks to me to make sure I spend time with them and talking and sign an autograph form and so that that memory can maybe be special for them too like it was for me I, baseball is such an amazing sport it's such an amazing part of my life and it's been a fun part of my life and I don't want that to change and so I just want to always make sure that I enjoy the blessings that have been bestowed on me uh, that's great. Uh, Adam, uh, this has been such a blast. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you making time for us. Uh, have a fun spring. Have a great WBC. Um, make sure you get plenty of at-bats. <laughs> and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Uh, thanks so much, man. All right. Thank you. Doug, Jason, good to talk to you, man. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. All right, it's that time again. It is time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Uh, You know, Doug, we didn't have time to cram in a trivia question on our last show, so I think that means we haven't gotten a single question wrong in a month. Sounds good when you put it that way, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I talk about undefeated streaks. That's right up there with one of the best all time. Yeah, it's like saying you haven't made an out in 20 years. I have not. Nobody could get me out in the last 20 years. <laughs> per close, anyway. So look, it's Super Bowl week. I know you heard that rumor. Uh, in that vein, we asked our loyal listeners if they could come up with some kind of trivia question that involved the World Series and the Super Bowl. And it was amazing. People came up with some great ones. So it was really hard to pick the question of the week. Uh, but we picked a great one, and mm-hmm. that was the good news. But now here's the bad news. The guy whose question we picked was a, a fellow named Mike Frentz, and he couldn't join us today because he had to work. Uh, and Doug, we admire that, but we totally hate it mm-hmm. when that happens. <laughs> but uh, at least Mike didn't leave his question to be asked by the mayor of Starkville, <laughs> Tim McMaster. Yes. He leaned into an incredible invention that we sometimes utilize here. It's known as voicemail. Ooh. So via the miracle of voicemail, here is Mike's question. Hello, gentlemen. This is Mike Frentz of Hayward, California, with your trivia question for the week. It's a simple one. Name the only pair of cities whose sports teams have faced off in a World Series, a Super Bowl, an NBA Finals, 
and a Stanley Cup Finals. That's it. Good luck. That's Go it. Giants. That's it. <laughs> so, so all we need, Doug, is a pair of cities yes. that have matched up in the finals of all four major pro sports. Uh, that's a fun question. It's also a really hard question. Uh, at least it was hard for me since I have zero knowledge of Stanley Cup Finals history. But um, before we start analyzing this, uh, let, let's bring the mayor in here. Uh, we have a procedural question. Tim, are you there? I am here. Okay, so by city, does Mike also mean region? In other words, would the Patriots and Red Sox both be from, quote, Boston, or, at, at least by his definition? So yes yeah. and no. With with the Patriots, yes. So Boston as a sports town will include the Patriots in New England. That being said, the Bay Area is not an answer. Like it has to right. be with you. San Francisco or Oakland. Although Oakland. the Warriors now this is really getting complex. The Warriors yeah, would count right. for both because yeah. they are the Bay Area. But the team anyway, you know where I'm going with this. All right, so Doug, I think we have a shot at this. I don't know if we'll actually get it, but yeah. all right, let's think it through. Yeah. We know there aren't that many cities or regions that have teams in all four sports. Right. So that helps. That yeah. narrows it down quite a bit. Yes. Uh, like Jacksonville's never won the World Series. So they're out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the other hard part is... They have to be in different leagues or conferences right. in all of those sports right. where they couldn't meet in the finals. So that kind of narrows the field, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, that's what kind of tried to trip me up. So I was like, okay, well, you know, and some of these, I, I mean, I could do geography, like east-west, but I don't know the nuance of like the south versus the, you know, the north. I'm a little bit, I'm a little rusty on the NHL divisions. So I don't know. Let me throw you share that. Yeah, so when I started thinking about this, just trying to rummage through the possibilities in my head, I just kept coming back to Boston and New England, maybe because yeah, they they've played in like 20 title games in the 21st century yeah. in all these sports. Um, but they, they just feel like they fit. Um, oh, yeah. I just can't decide what the other city is. Like my first hunch was Boston and LA. There were a lot of NBA finals between those teams. Yep. Um, you know, there was, uh, I covered Red Sox Dodgers World Series a few years back, so I know they played. Um, so I was thinking about that one, but then I had this voice in the back of my head saying, no, 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 it's got to be Boston and St. Louis. I mean, the Patriots did beat the. Or play the St. Louis Rams mm -hmm. in a Super Bowl, which would get them in. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm thinking that's a that's a good one. I, I thought about Boston and Chicago, but they're in the same conference in basketball, so that can't be right. I don't know. I just got Boston on the brain. So, Doug, what are you thinking? Yeah, about? and the, and where I get tripped up on the like, what was the conferences like in the '60s? You know, I just like, yeah. You know, was there an East-West? Right. That's what threw me off. Well, there was no... Remember now, the St. Louis Blues were one of the expansion teams. So we don't have to worry about that, that them, okay? Um, right, the Blues... <laughs> blues Bruins are saying? Like that? Or you're, Blue, you're, you're crossing Blues out. and Bruins could have played, but not in the 60s. 
Yeah, but right, that's right. I think they're in different conferences, aren't they? Pretty sure. Yeah, I don't know. I know they're different. Because now it's like Pacific, <laughs> and I don't know. Hockey's going to kill our, our hockey knowledge is just filling up the, the uh, airwaves but, here. Okay, I, I like Boston. I did like Boston, L.A. because, okay, NBA, you know, that's easy. Bruins, Kings, you know, did that happen? Gretzky? Maybe. Possibly. Maybe. We know the NFL that happened, right? Did it happen? Boston, the, the Patriots played did they play the Rams or, something? or the other Rams LA didn't they play the Rams I believe the Patriots at one point played the LA Rams but now I can't, I'm not sure about that either okay. I didn't cheat I can't remember every Super Bowl right it doesn't count as like okay. Patriots played in like a hundred Super Bowls then they, they must have played everybody at some point right so we definitely have all right we know Boston we know NBA MLB is right you know we're not sure about the Kings and then maybe Patriots Rams but right but they beat St. Louis, or did they beat LA? That's oh, that's annoying. Um, <laughs> all right, so wait, you're, oh, uh, yeah, St. Louis. Uh, is there any chance it's some city other than Boston, though? Like New York always has teams in both conferences, both leagues. I mean, New York you versus LA. They could do this, but I couldn't. Yankees. I, nothing seemed to fit for me. No, I didn't. Rangers, Yankees. Uh, Yankee. Well, then, all right. So let's football. Giants and Jets. The Jets didn't win. The Giants beat who? The Patriots. Jets won once. Oh, did they? Win? Oh, yeah. Sixty-nine. Right. They beat the Colts. Right. So uh, right. is that right? Yeah. That doesn't count. Uh, Giants. <laughs> who do they beat? They beat the Patriots a bunch of times. Uh, that probably doesn't work, right? They beat. It doesn't work. That does not work. Packers, maybe. Yeah, is that what are the Packers? They don't count. Milwaukee. I don't. I, I, I decided they wouldn't count, and they don't. Right. They don't have a hockey team anyway. No, I think. I, I don't. I think we're right. I mean, I try Boston Philly. That doesn't work, right? Does that work? Boston Philly does not. Right. Does not work. All right. So I think. I think you're right. I think it's somewhere like Patriots Rams or Patriots. Uh, Patriots L.A. Patriots. You said St. Louis, but. We're thinking that doesn't work. Does it work? We, there's, we, I mean, we know that they've played in the World Series. Well, basketball, we St. Louis. We know that, work? that they've. We're pretty sure they played in the Super Bowl. They could have played in the NBA Finals at any point, going back a million years. I don't know. And St. then Louis, hockey, they're in it? different conferences. They weren't that good, St. Louis and NBA. Because <laughs> oh. I remember when they got the expansion uh, rights, right? They were in the ABA or something, and then they came. <clears throat> is that right? No. no. They had the, the obviously there was the legendary St. Louis team in the ABA, but the St. Louis Hawks were in the NBA before, Ooh, way before that. That's hurts. I, Bob I don't know. Pettit. All right, all right. Okay, so, so Bob Pettit against Bill Russell, that could have happened, huh? Oh my gosh. I, I think it's just it's just a reminder this question is trickier than it looks. Okay. I think we should get it. As usual, we probably won't get it. I, I'm leaning toward Boston, St. Louis, but I'm going to trust your instinct on this. What do you, uh, what do you think, man? Boston, St. Louis, or Boston, L.A.? Let's try to get this right. Come on. Okay. All right, Boston, L.A. We have NBA, easy check. We we have MLB, right? NFL, Patriots is easy. Rams, Raiders. I don't know. They didn't play Rams. NHL. I mean, Kings, I know they're in the finals at some point. Kings, who? Uh, Bruins. (laughs) Wayne Gretzky played for the Kings. All right. right, I like that. St. Louis, NBA is real mystery. 
Blues versus Bruins. I don't like it. Uh, Rams, Patriots, and then MLB is Cardinals, Boston. That's good too. I don't know. I don't know. I feel I'm feeling very <laughs> LA on this one, but I just okay. We're gonna trust you. I don't. All know. right, but we're we're let's bring in the mayor, Mayor Tim. I believe Doug Glanville has commanded that we are going to guess Boston and Los Angeles. Ugh. Is there any chance that's right? No. He talked you out of it, Jason. You had it. And Doug talked you out of it. It was St. Louis. Nice going. So the uh, LA, you had the the Rams did play the Patriots um, just three years ago. Um, that terrible 13 to three game. Um, and obviously Ooh. Lakers, Celtics and um, baseball oh. Dodgers. But the Kings and Bruins never played in the Stanley oh, Cup. Was... But but uh, this isn't this is kind of amazing st louis and boston 11 times uh obviously super bowl 36 was tom brady's yep. first adam vinatieri with the kick to win it over the st louis rams yep. uh the nba finals in 1957 58 60 and 61 all celtics Ooh. hawks celtics won three of those World... how'd you forget those glenville oh i didn't know any of those That's... yeah World Series 46, 67, 04, and 13. They split those two to two. And yeah, Stanley Cup Finals, probably. the Bruins and Blues actually played three years ago in 2019. Uh, and then the famous <laughs> 1970, uh, Bobby Orr scoring the goal and then flying through the air. That was also against the Blues. Oh my so oh, Boston wow. leads the overall series seven to four, but they've met 11 times across four sports. 11 times? 11 times, and we still got it wrong. Yeah. You, you know what though? I, of, I don't feel I that bad about missing. I need a I, I, I don't feel that bad about missing this, even though we were so close. Any question that includes hockey, <laughs> I feel like I personally have an excuse. <laughs> and hockey is so, where you we, went astray, so it makes sense. The Kings. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. We, we might need a new trivia rule here. No more hockey questions. What do you I think, wanna, Doug? I want to bring back a lifeline, like Fred Lynn. You know, if I, you know, I could have. Texted a few people, NHL. My brother probably knew that one. He's a big NHL I, fan. I, I honestly, we we've talked about this. The lifeline thing, I think, would be really fun. Yeah, we have one phone a friend for every week's question, and we we bring that friend in. I think we always and the trivia it. question would then get longer than the rest of the show combined, <laughs> yes. but it would still be fun. It would be fun. Um, I was be. just thinking more about the, the Kings, and they were close. If you think about it, the Kings. Won the cup in what 12 and 13 or 12, yeah. 2012, 2014. And the Bruins have been good that whole time. The Bruins won it in 2011. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. like, really close to Bruins Kings, but they never quite matched up. So, but then if that had happened, then there would have been two answers. So, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Then he would ask some different yeah. question. Oof. And at any good rate, question. as you know, whether we get these questions right or wrong, the highlight of these trivia segments is not the part where we thrash around trying to answer these things. It's the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim, to play another fantastic play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. Ooh. So, Tim, do you, do you have a World Series highlight or a Super Bowl highlight this week? Uh, this question gave you a lot possibilities yeah a lot of options i didn't think about going back to the 1960s for the nba that was right off the hook but i almost went with the super bowl and the vinitary kick to win it patriots first yeah, super bowl win. Fun. but this is a baseball show so at the end of the yeah. day i decided to go go with baseball and when you think about these two teams 
actually all those World Series were great, right? 46, 67, oh, oh, 04 wasn't great. And 13, we're actually going with the one that wasn't great. It was the sweep. But as far as history goes, and Boston and the Red Sox snapping the curse, we're going to go with that one. And Joe Castiglione on the radio. was so good by Joe Castiglione. And so, Doug, this was only one of the most memorable World Series of our lives, and we still got that question wrong. What well, is wrong with us? Yeah, that's all right. You handed it off. L.A., just, you know, I was too modern. I needed your 60s expertise. <laughs> Should have leaned into that. God. But uh, we, we'll try again. This oh, well. Is, it's spring training. We're not even in spring training yet, so we're warming up. We're warming up. We'll, okay. we'll be undefeated. We're over for 2023 right now, just so yeah. you know. That's all right. Uh, listen, Mike, sorry you couldn't join us to hear us thrash around and get this one wrong, but great job with that question. Thank you so much for coming up with that. And if you're listening, you too could be part of these trivia segments just like Mike. We'll tell you how in just a few minutes. So if you remember the part of this show where we were kicking around the new schedule, uh, I mentioned that later in the show, we would get to sit back and let Doug tell some schedule tales from back in his day. Uh, well, now we're hanging out in the dugout, so you know what that means? That time has arrived. So, Doug, I, I cannot wait to hear about the madness that the schedule used to inflict on you back when you were hanging around playing in the major leagues. Well, Jay, I mean, my instincts tell me to be a little bit careful with this because the minor leagues was so much harder <laughs> So I tried to be grateful for these tough experiences travel in Major League Baseball because, I mean, we, you know, connected through St. Louis. We slept on bus racks. Um, I mean, it was it was horrendous. So I think that is I'm going to start off with that like asterisk. But uh, once you got spoiled enough in the Major Leagues, you do kind of start to think like things should go smoothly. And I know we went through a lot of different things from. Uh, you know, two day when interleague started, there was only these two, there was a lot of two game series, and that was horrible. Yeah. Day game, night game, and that didn't go very well. Players complained a lot about that, and uh, and there's there's no doubt that things changed. And I know, look, when nine eleven happened, everything changed. We all, all of a sudden we used to be able to drive the bus right onto the tarmac and just fly off. And once nine eleven happened, you know, we had security. So you know, things have shifted for a lot of reasons. But you know, one thing that stood out is uh, one year in '04 which was my last season and Larry Boa was managing HBO. I believe did their like hard knocks or they were following us around all season. And it happened to be a season where we had this crazy two plus week road trip. And I recall being kind of film coming out of the dugout. I think it was either after we got back or before we're about to take this trip. I think we got back. And I remember mentioning that we hit five continents on this last road trip. <laughs> so that tells you the story of what happens. And so I think so we how had, long was this trip? So, yeah. So I thought this trip 
was like 17 days. Uh, when I went back and, you know, looked and we did, we did the research, it was like 14, but that's still two weeks. And that's a pretty sizable road trip for, for any team. So you're going to hit four cities about, and in this case, you know, maybe, I don't know if we did, we have any days off in this trip. I don't know. But all I know is we had one day off and the cities were like coast in different time zones other than the LA San Diego on the back end. So I think what yeah, we, I looked this up. So just just to recap, uh, it started in well, you went from Philadelphia to Florida. So you started yep. in Florida, Wonderful. Eastern time zone. Then you went to Chicago, yeah, Central time zone. Then you did was it? I think it was L.A. and San Diego. Maybe not not yeah. in that order. But uh, if you'd only changed planes in Denver, you could have set foot in all four time zones on one trip. Oh, it was beautiful. So let me tell you what that does to you: the delirium that sets in. First of all, the time zones. And it's like when you ease your way across the country and then you jump over to the West Coast, it's a disaster. And then coming back east, of course, you know, jet lag and everything. So this this was particularly tough. And, and it gets to the point where you don't I mean, forget about remembering what hotel you're in. You can't even remember what floor or key. You're like, you know, I remember a couple of times going to the floor of the previous hotel because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in 1221. But that was like two two cities ago. So that's where, you know, you're in trouble. And uh, so, but this particular trip ended up being really magical. And what was magical about it is uh, at one point when I bought my house in Pennsylvania, when I signed with the Phillies, my first, like, and I think only long-term deal, I guess. When I signed that contract, I had an interior designer. I know that sounds crazy, right? Interior designer helped me with my house because I had, you know, I bought this house, first house I'm owning. It's white walls. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't match colors. And my mom was like, you're going to host Thanksgiving this year. So I had to hire a decorator. And it turned out the decorator had helped the the woman that sold me the house in the first place. So she had an inside understanding of this house. And at some point she says, hey, you know what? I, I, you know, I think you, I could hook you up in, in your dating game. I could step up your dating game. That's what she told me. Now I'm thinking this is an older British woman, whatever. What do you, you don't know what you're talking about. So I ignored her for a while. He sets me up on a, uh, not directly, but through a friend who he she thought was going to introduce to her daughter. The daughter had a colleague working at a law firm with her in Delaware. So he's like, well, I'm not available, but I have a friend and associate at a law firm that I might set you up on. So we were like, fine. We emailed all that. And needless to say, that became my wife. So that road trip, was right after I went on my first date with my wife and a, a total, it was like double blind date. Like we didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know any connection to who was setting us up. She didn't know. And that double blind date, we just blindly went. She was studying for the Pennsylvania bar. And I, and I was like trying to figure out how to catch her before I go on this road trip. And I was like, you got to eat. So we ended up meeting uh, pretty early, like a brunch time uh, somewhere downtown in Philadelphia. So that trip became life-changing, even though like I was out of my mind and exhausted and jet-lagged, like we always are on two-week bi-coastal type of stuff. Uh, it was worth every minute of it because I remember sending my wife her first text message. She didn't even know how to answer it. She was like, what am I supposed to My phone's ringing. I don't know what's going on. And that's what began because I'm a master text uh, poet, I'd say. Text poet, look that up. So that is the beauty of long road trips sometimes you never ever know 
what deal you're closing and it might be the greatest deal you close in your life. So thank you, Philadelphia Phillies, for scheduling madness in four different continents because I met my wife and I had my first date with my wife. The rest is history. <laughs> All right. Well, that story took a turn I wasn't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you took a trip to four continents and then you lived happily ever after. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, sure. I did. Didn't, like that was a plot twist, folks. <laughs> when you go to the dugout, you never know where it's going to lead you. <laughs> Doug just got married <laughs> in the dugout. So it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Much like this show. And speaking of which, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all spring training long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the sensational spring training coverage in the Athletic, I can tell you how to do that. You just amble over to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, guess what? You can subscribe for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Pretty much every show, we keep picking some fun listener trivia question, and then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove, once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So, how could you possibly join us? We can tell you how. You can always email us at Starkville at theathletic.com. That's Starkville with an E on the end. Or you can come up with a question and mm. tweet it at us on the Twitter yes. where Doug Glanville still resides. Doug, have you changed addresses on Twitter or are you right where we left you? Yeah, I always wonder, like, do you say Twitter or the Twitter? Because it's sort of like MLB and the MLB. I think they're... It's always a big I debate, said. but I like that. I like the, the Twitter. We, we use that a lot. So I think we should coin that as the vernacular of Starkville. the Twitter. Yep. We're going to say I sometimes the, call it the Google in my house. I, I like it. Uh, the does give you a little power. So you can reach yep. me at the at Doug Glanville, but it's actually at D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E and tweet me there. Okay. So the T-H-E are silent and invisible. Yes. So and, and you yeah. could the tweet me there. Yes. All right. I don't know what Doug just said, but I am at Jason S T. That's G A Y S O N S T. Please remember to hashtag the questions. Hashtag Starkville QS no T H E. So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Adam Wainwright for visiting us. Thanks to Mike Frentz for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon. Starkville. The NFL is unmatched. Elite athleticism. Weekly drama, millions watching every game day, billions of dollars in revenue. But among all that attention, money, and success, the league has a critical flaw. In my experience, the NFL does have a, a race problem, but more than that, the owners have a race problem. 
the people who make the hiring decisions, I don't think that they are going to look at two candidates and think the black candidate is clearly superior. What you don't realize is that as you're going through all of that, the stress it puts you on, it's like somebody beating you down every day. The thing is, it has to be player level. We call it the NFL, but I, the 32 owners, like, we can't sit here and say, like, this is important to all 32 of those guys. Football teams hated it. You know, issues like the National Anthem, kneeling for the National Anthem, issues like players speaking out in protest. Watching Roger Goodell, like, get on TV and, you know, try to sound like <laughs> he with it. We know it. there's a definite limit on this allyship, right? I wasn't a big fan of the NFL because of what I had to go through and the way it was, I looked up on it, and I just felt like I was fed up with the NFL. I'm Tashawn Reed, the host of a new podcast series from The Athletic called Between the Lines. The series details how America's biggest game has grappled with America's biggest issue. From the players who weigh the risks of being socially active in the wake of Colin Kaepernick, to coaches and executives vying for equal opportunities, to a league and owners who have failed to support and promote diversity. The series includes exclusive interviews from Ladanian Tomlinson, Doug Williams, Jason Wright, and several more players, coaches, and front office executives across the game. Look for Between the Lines starting on February 14th on The Athletic Football Show every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts.